Happiness Story, Section 1. A crisp post-winter breeze graces through this small place in Austria, Dollarsheim to be exact. This is the town where Bina Blau lived with her family. This is where she was kidnapped. This is where she was to live until her last breath, but instead she was taken away forever. People don't know the name Bina Blau because she didn't write a book. She didn't. She couldn't. She didn't live to tell the very true myth of a little girl during the Holocaust. One small story told by your great-grandfather who witnessed could summarize the entire view of this atrocity. And that is the only way people heard this one story out of many. Now this village is still left empty for the wood to rot, for the stones to dry, for time to stand still, and for the crumbled souls of this wasteland to cry, as the people who once lived there never returned. Little Miss Bina Blau just woke up to the sound of her grandmother Atma's beautiful compositions of Beethoven. Bina reached over to her bedside table for her crutches. The wooden crutch splinted her small pinky finger when putting it under her arm. So, on her way to the kitchen for tweezers, she found them in a drawer and took them out, taking out the splinter next. When she was looking in the drawer, she caught a glimpse of her grandmother and grandfather being put on a truck with a disturbing symbol on it. In confusion, Bina races out the front door and tries to stop these mysterious men from taking the only family that she has ever known. But her grandparents are yelling from a distance to run back inside and hide for her life. The soldiers who were walking off started running after her. The grandparents obviously tried to hide her from what was happening saying that they were just some helpless old couple that lived in a small house when they were gardening. The soldier's mistake was actually believing them instead of searching the house, but Bina's slower mind messed up her grandparents' plans. Their plan didn't seem to make much sense. An 11-year-old handicapped girl stuck in one of the smallest towns in Austria with no one else to look after her, but it was the only thing that could be done. The soldiers caught Bina by tackling her. The poor little girl was shaking while the SS officer carried her to her truck, leaving her homemade crutches in the grass and mud in front of the stone house, giving her to her grandfather who was expected to carry his granddaughter throughout this entire mystery adventure that the village just found out about eight and a half minutes ago. He is an old man living throughout the First World War and about to endure a second. He didn't know if he was to make it or his beloved wife, but he wouldn't think twice about saving his granddaughter's life in exchange for his in more than a split second. His granddaughter still shivering on his lap with only her morning nightgown on and bottom covered in mud from only seconds earlier. This was an extremely small village. Invasion came too early for the village to hear about the news. Word only gets out from fellow towns next to ours. If there were only anyone to send a word to us to begin with, Bina's grandfather looked down under the brown curtains of the military truck, carrying all of this absurd amount of ammunition, perhaps a military base. But how was he to know that? The soldiers weren't going to say anyways. Two hours later, the loud honks of cars, crowds walking, Citizens talking. Vina's grandfather thought of Vienna, 
his nation's capital, and he was correct. What could they be doing in Vienna, these people that captured them? The truck kept driving and driving and driving, 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 until they stopped finally. The truck's doors swung open and then closed, pulled back the curtains by the soldiers, vicious screams of threats. Get out of the truck! Get out, you filth! Bina was given to her neighbor, John. He was old, but not nearly as old as her grandfather. The ghetto, the grandfather thought. He had heard of these, the contraption of Jews, held in buildings that were kept in the poorest conditions. But why was he considered filth? He followed Jesus among God, a good Christian man, his family too. He was not the filth. They are the filth, he thought to himself, not even being processed. They are put on a cattle car, the whole village among others, the Jewish filth, homosexuals, and even blacks, those blacks. Fowler's mind was overcome by ignorance and hate after seeing World War I. His opinion was changed by his relative, a close one. He didn't have a problem with others before either. Just this one particular man on the radio with a clear-headed mindset. That's how Bowler saw it. Anyone different from him was automatically put below him in his old mind. So, all were shoved in the cattle car above the crunching wooden boards of the car. Bina, crying in the corner, tucked in John's arms, with the only thought of what would happen to Bina. God's misfortune with the unblessing of muscular dystrophy, diagnosed by John being the village doctor. Bina couldn't even stand up straight with one of her crutches, let alone being left with none. She would try, but she looked like a baby lamb trying to stand, never being able to. Then all of a sudden, the bottom of the car was scratching loudly against the train tracks, off on the victim's way to further confusion. Night fell slowly that day, cold air whistling throughout the carrier, the loud sound of wind sprinting past the car, making it ever so hard to sleep. At least there was no smell. That would be the last straw, trapped in a car, forced to stand with little room, having to relieve themselves in their clothing, weakening the old floor with a hundred live bodies, three dead from starvation already. Oh yes and starving. All the more terrible, not knowing where you're going. John put Bina under his legs for her to sleep, making sure that he would stay awake, even though it being awfully hard not to. He was clenched by his neighboring bodies keeping him up. He could have fallen asleep right there. He could have. Balor was watching as well as Martha, Bina's grandmother. But in the end, he felt it was his obligation to look after this helpless girl. The only purpose that he had in this life at this particular bitter moment. A man on the train yelled, yelled again, yelled continuously, leaving the car to be confused of the meaning, but the meaning was to keep himself awake. It was quite obvious that this man was ill. A good chance, originally, or maybe from what was happening around him, or even both. Trying to keep himself awake would make things better in his mind, keeping himself safe from anything that could happen. 
even though it would be better to sleep. Passing time would help this nightmare for him, but also the car mates. More the car mates. His intention was not to disrupt his car mates, but it didn't the process. The sick man finally falls asleep, leaving the silent car silent, making everyone fall asleep. A sudden screech fills the air, fills the car. Out of the dead of night, it wakes everyone in it, never-ending yelling from the unsettled man. A dream that he had. No, a nightmare. People in the car trying to calm him down, making things better, comfort him. But the help cannot stop the screams. His tear-soaked cheeks keep wrinkling from his expanding facial muscles. The man grabs his drawers, pulls out a pistol that he had kept hidden, and ends his life in front of everyone to stop the horrors in his head. Complete chaos breaks out in the car. People falling to the opposite side of the car. People falling on each other. Blood splatters. Screams overcome the cattle car, but much worse than before. Everyone shaken from what they just witnessed. Crying from Bina. John comforting Bina. Staring death in the face with its eyes still open. The train comes to a screeching halt, throwing everyone on top of each other once again. Silence. Fear. Footprints. Footsteps stepping through the snow. Doors are heard opening next to Bina's again, again, again for minutes again. What would happen next? And then the final door. The final door has been chosen. Both sides of the doors fling open, letting the s snow and air engulf the cattle car accompanied by soldiers yelling. Everyone is forced out of the train, standing in the cold. John's still trying to keep Bina as warm as possible with the help of her grandparents. Blood trails from his ear, from her ears, Bina, from her ears down the side of her face. The ringing was so loud, even they could hear it. The soldiers investigate what happened, finding the sick man and an older woman sitting next to him, laying dead. To leave an even more open wound, the soldiers stood there, keeping the people outside even though they had already done what they had to do. Finally, the people are led into the train cars again, but to leave a final crushing blow to Bina's car, they hadn't even taken the bodies. All they had done with them was search them for any valuables, took their clothes and left them in the corner, naked and rotting. Bina's car was expected to just go back in and act as if nothing happened, try to sleep with death laying right beside them. But all the soldiers did was save time for the last test of humanity. <sighs> Three days of devastation passed slower than a year on Mars. Bina, John, neighbors, everyone could barely hold on to consciousness from smell, starvation, depression. It was unbearable. It was mentioned that Bowler was a solid man of God, but after these four days, that belief was shattered. All he lived for was the protection of his granddaughter, and that oddly gave him all the strength in the world. The car stops on the screeches of the tracks. 
The doors fling open for the second time, but this time they arrive at a terrible looking place, a gray building where the skies cannot physically turn blue. Everyone is forced off with Bina still in John's arms, terrified of the next outcome. Lines, really long lines. Really long lines of really long people. Or maybe they were regular sized people with regular sized lines. Bina's reality was overcome with hallucinations, not knowing real or not, fake or fantasy. The worst feeling for the tiny girl was not being forced out of John's arms, forced from his arms. A soldier from a distance was taken, talking to another while the sight of Bina caught his eye. His eyes lit up with evil he felt a need for an unknown thing. John saw him staring at her with his open eyes almost popping out of his head. He was scared for her, John. He knew what was to happen. People, able-bodied, were being sent in a completely different direction from the people that were not. He predicted the future and it was not fortunate. soldiers told them to take off their clothes, give up valuables, and put on these striped pajamas. John saw the devil walking toward Bina with the biggest grin on his face. He wouldn't give her up. The man was exclaiming her to be her lab rat, wanting to experiment on Bina's disabilities. John was being put in the able-bodied group to begin with, but then the man gave up, said, hold on tight. Up in flames is where you want to go. So be it. John didn't understand a word what the creature said. Though he was proud, he saved her life. So, he went to the line to the left, with the old, the sick, Bina's grandparents standing right behind them. What is that smell, John said. Again. No, no, what is that smell? John says again. Bina and her grandparents smell the same, confused as well, but as they keep walking, the scent becomes even stronger by the step. Eventually numbing the scents to smell, drowning out the scent of smoke. The soldiers are staying. They are staying. They are taking showers and that they're going to take off their clothes. Showers, showers, everyone is cheering with glee that they are going to be finally stripped of the smell that has been lingering with them this entire adventure. Clothes are taken off and taken by guards. John is blissfully chatting with Bina. Still confused, but if they have passed this, he thinks everything after will be tolerable. Door opens. Cyanide. John knew that smell from World War One. He didn't know it from far away, but he knew it up close. John runs as fast as he can, but is caught by soldiers very quickly. He is dragged back from whence he came, and is held at gunpoint with Bina in his arms, scared of what he might have seen or thought, but she couldn't have known what John was staring at that door for, crying uncontrollably, staring at such an innocent, fit, innocent face before it was to turn cold as ice. They walk toward the door. 
times in slow motion for poor John. A step, taking a minute. Bina still staring at him with her grandparents, worried some of John's well-being, carrying their precious granddaughter. Slow motion still. Everyone's in this room with no water faucets. Door shuts, and a barrel hits John in the head, knocking him to the ground. Bina trapped under John's body, hard to breathe, impossible. Bina grasping for air, bodies start to drop. And then suddenly, Okay guys, this story was completely made up, but the meaning of it was that I wanted to show how gruesome this tragedy was for many people, even though I'm sure everyone that's reading knows it. This was the worst possible situation that I could think of, and I wrote it. I'm sure there are people that suffered even greater than the poor people in this made up story. Or maybe, somehow, I actually wrote a story that was true. We could never know if something like this could have happened. It just always makes my skin crawl whenever someone says, this wasn't real. It really does. I hope all my listeners enjoyed this. Thank you for listening. Bye now.